This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're going to talk about the biggest girl group in the world, Blackpink. They were on the cover of Rolling Stone just now. Each member also got their own breakout cover. And we had a very talented journalist and filmmaker, Haryan Kung, interview them and write the cover stories. And she's joining me right now from Seoul, South Korea, to talk about her experience hanging out with Blackpink. you did were really revealing and my sense was that the four members of Blackpink were actually really happy to get such serious and weighty questions from you. You know that was really what was surprising to me too because in my previous K-pop interviews they were always quite short because the times are very structured and the management you know adheres to them strictly and there's usually a manager that's present so the interview settings are quite strict. So my preconception of K-pop interviews was that, you know, it's not going to get too candid. But Blackpink members were just really ready to talk about their lives and more honest than I really expected. It should be noted that really, aside from BTS, Blackpink is the biggest breakthrough act in the history of the Korean pop industry as far as success in the U.S. and other international markets. They followed the trend of idol groups wanting to expand continuously into borders beyond Korea. They don't really need to be confined to the K-pop genre anymore because they're so global in reach. And they were global in inception. When YG envisioned a, a new girl group coming out, they were already thinking of a pop group, not a K-pop group. YG held auditions in Australia and Thailand and that's how Rosé and Lisa, Lisa is the Thai member, they got recruited from an, an, an incredibly competitive uh, audition process. I think Lisa was the only one to qualify among 4,000 applicants. This is not unique in K-pop in that there are agencies in other groups that have tried similar things with non-Korean members. There's actually a very interesting sociological experiment. It's a K-pop group called EXP, but a graduate student created this band with no Korean members because her idea was, what if I create a band that looks exactly like K-pop with the sort of choreography, but nobody's Korean? Would it still count as K-pop? So there's all these interesting experiments like that happening. Yeah, HYBE is supposedly, I haven't heard much about it since, but they announced they were going to put together an American, quote unquote, K-pop group, all Americans. This gets into why RM from BTS doubts whether BTS themselves should be called K-pop. Whereas, yes, there could be a group of all Americans who are called K-pop. It devolves into an abstraction in a very interesting way. Within Blackpink, there were interesting attitudes to it. Jisoo, who had grown up all her life in Korea, didn't even realize that this thing was called K-pop because to her, this was just music. 
you know, music wow. in her own country. Whereas Lisa, who grew up in Thailand, she had been a fan of K-pop groups like Big Bang and 21. And now that they're so global in scale, and this didn't make it into the article, unfortunately, for space reasons, but they were talking about how they don't want to be confined to K-pop. You know, this is a genre that's meaningful, but they do look at themselves as a very global group. Come a little closer cause you look at thirsty. I'ma make it better, slip it like a slurpee. Snow cone, chili, get it free. Like I was saying before we started, you got to go to the headquarters of YG. They were always one of the mainstays of the Korean pop industry. And I, I always I loved that it was co-founded by a member of what people say is the original K-pop group. And that's Sataji and the boys. Sataji and boys were incredibly important in kind of pioneering the, the dance-centered, very visual form of um, music that we now call K-pop. And then, you know, Sataji and boys weren't studio produced, but... YG, Yang Hyun-seok, who was one of the boys, went on to produce studio-produced K-pop idols by founding YG. But before Sotteji and boys, there, wa- there were already trends in Korean popular music where dance and hip-hop and all these Western influences were becoming more and more popular. For example, there was the, a band called Fire Truck or Kiwanson, who is a singer. So Sotteji and boys is often pinpointed as the beginning, but it's not really completely true. That's super interesting. But yes, the studio system wasn't there. In fact, it was in large part, I believe, modeled on Japanese pop music and also on Motown in America. Yeah. And you have to remember the um, social context of Korea at the time, because in the late 80s and early 90s, just when Sotteji and Boys was beginning to, you know, right before they debuted, was when Korea had achieved formal democracy. You know, the military, decades-long military dictatorship had ended, and all these interesting experiments were popping up in culture and politics. So there was not just music, you know, censorship had ended. So in music, there were all these really fun things happening, but also in politics, civil society. And so this was an incredibly dynamic time. And if you remember that, it makes sense why all of a sudden there were these boys that started dancing on TV. And even then, Korean society was quite conservative. So people were like, this is not a song. You know, you don't have enough melodies. Rap is not music. And then, of course, we should say that the a few agencies came to sort of dominate the Korean pop music industry. And these agencies were, for people who only know U.S. pop music, the analogy is a record label, but they're more than record labels. It's like a record label, management, and more all together in one company. Very powerful companies in in very interesting ways. So the members of Blackpink joined YG one by one as trainees. Jenny was the first in 2010, a long time ago. I think there's a lot of Western stereotypes of this trainee process. Sometimes people assume that it's exploitative or abusive because it is very strict. But it is a crucible that creates stars. One thing on the trainee system, I think about it often as a very East Asian slash Korean culture that created this trainee system because, and it for me, it mirrors the very intense education system here where it's 
incredibly test-centered and students just have very intense schedules. So the trainee system with Blackpink, they had to take a test every at the end of every month where they had to dance and sing in front of all these judges. And based on their grades, the judges decided whether they went home or stayed. And I heard that and I was like, wow, this is very Korean. <laughs> I mean, the rigorousness. There's a lot of controversies around that with Korean education too, just like the trainee system for its intensity, because in, in a way they don't have that much room to reflect on their growth as artists because they're so driven, 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 driven to get the right grade. And you see that in the article where Lisa and Jenny and the other members were talking about how their sole focus during that four to six year time was just debuting. So in your time visiting YG Entertainment, did you get a glimpse of some trainees? Did you get a peek at where all this happens? So YG um, is very different above ground and underground. <laughs> above ground, it, it stretches like nine floors up, I think. And it's um, it looks like a very open-aired, modern office building with employees wearing tags walking around and there's a cafeteria and everything. And then underneath in the basement floors is where the studios are. So the trainees walk around with the artists and they, they practice dancing and, and record and there's makeup rooms and stuff like that. I mean, there were so many people in the basement floors that some of them must have been trainees. And I Blackpink didn't really stand out in that crowd either. They were not wearing any makeup. They were wearing normal black clothes like everyone else and just chit-chatting with the staff in the hallways. There were many other performers, right, who could have been part of this group who had passed other auditions who were trainees who were, who were booted out. There were even members announced as part of the group who were later cut. The members of Blackpink are, well, I don't want to say survivors of this process, but... Definitely survivors. I mean, <laughs> these girls are tough. I guess the proof is in the success. I mean, call out the weaker performers over a period of years and get the remaining best ones. You end up with the, the world's most popular girl group, apparently. Yeah, but on the other hand, Jisoo told me, and this is in the article, she said that Sometimes performing still feels like a test than her genuinely enjoying the stage. She's just constantly just thinking about how to do this perfectly. Maybe shouldn't generalize because it was just Jisoo who was talking about that. I mean, maybe break down the four members, maybe starting with Jenny. Jenny, Jenny was around the longest. She joined as a trainee in 2010. She was born in Seoul and went to New Zealand when she was 10, where she learned English and according to her, had the time of her life jumping on trampolines. She wanted to be a singer, so her mom supported her dream to audition for YG. She is the main rapper, and she was the first to release a solo single called Solo in 2018. <laughs> it's a good song, too. <laughs> I liked that she was uh, a bit of a nerd, that she told me that her favorite subjects in school were math and science, and she had like a two-tier note-taking system because she loved taking notes and going to school. And uh, she's still kind of the person that makes sure people do their jobs within the group, according to her. Rosé. So let's talk about Rosé. She was born in 
New Zealand, but grew up in Australia most of her life, hence her Aussie accent. And her Korean name is Cheung, and her full English name is Rosie Ann, and her friends call her Rosie. She joined YG in 2012, I think, and she came to the company on the first day carrying her trusty old guitar and walked into the dorm, which was very coincidentally and fortuitously um, shared by the other three Blackpink members. At the time, this the group wasn't even finalized yet, and they ended up living in the same dorm. But on the first day, they just jammed until morning with Rosé playing the guitar, which I thought was a wonderful moment. She released her solos on the ground and gone in last year, and they were commercially incredibly successful. I especially love on the ground choreography. There's a YouTube video that has over like 80 million views where she's just dancing with her with her backups and and she just has a very graceful movement about her. My life's been magic, seems fantastic. I used to have a hole in the wall with a mattress. Funny when you want it, suddenly you have it. And dancing was something that she struggled with a lot. The thing that struck me most about Rose is how serious she is about music. She has this wonderful insecurity about her where she's questioning herself as a musician and she wants to be better and she plays the guitar alone in her room using her iPad to record herself just like she did in, when she was a child in Australia. And she told me that she's just learning to be alone in a room just exploring music like she did in the old days. They all have such different strengths as musicians. Rosé is definitely the, the vocalist within the group whereas Jenny and Lisa are more the, the rap and and in Lisa's case, especially dancing. And uh, Jisoo is good at harmonizing, and she's also the uh, a lead vocalist, which in K-pop speak, there's the main vocalist, which Rose is, and then Jisoo is the lead vocalist, which I think is a little different from being like a sub vocalist because Jisoo has a lot of parts as well. Jisoo was probably the most vulnerable with me in the interview about how confused she was and how she's still finding herself as a person and as a musician. You know, she asked a lot of questions about her career, which now she you can very safely call her a mid-career musician. She was asking questions about, you know, what kind of music she likes, what people want from her, what can she do, but also just the, the regimented life of a celebrity, how she said that her personality and looking back at her past, she's very carefree and she doesn't like things incredibly planned and she would just in high school, she would wake up in the morning and not want to go to school, and her parents would be like, okay, you're our darling youngest daughter. Okay, fine, just stay at home. <laughs> and then from that, she went to YG and this incredibly strict life of a celebrity. You know, I mean, celebrity life, and it's not just K-pop, it's Taylor Swift and That's all right. these people who are subject to fame and That's all right. these gazes from other people. There's so many rules in how you're expected to behave. And so I think in the middle of this whirlwind, Jisoo is really asking, who am I and where do I want to go next? She's the only Blackpink member who hasn't released a solo yet. And she told me she's still figuring that out as well. She's acted and she was the, the main character in a historical drama last year, I think, called Snowdrop. Lisa made me the most comfortable immediately. And her stylist, Pagmini, who's been a Blackpink stylist since before they debuted, said that Lisa just has a talent for that. She puts people at ease very easily. Very outgoing, very easily prone to laughter. What struck me was how, how open she is at unpredictable 
moments, you know. I, I sometimes ask interviewees questions that are off topic or or unexpected, like um, to throw them off and see how they react. So I asked the Blackpink members, oh, what language do you guys dream in? What did you dream about last night? And the other members were kind of like, hmm, like a little wary. Why is she asking me this? And then Lisa was like immediately game. She's like, oh, that's a good question. I'm going to tell you about my dream with Teddy. So Lisa was born in, she's, Lisa is Thai. And she was born in Buriram province and was raised in Bangkok. She's still incredibly close to her mom and dad. And she said what she misses most about them is taking these family trips once a year or even more. She came into YG. She auditioned in Thailand and came to YG in, I think, 2011. And that's when Jisoo also came in as well. She didn't speak any Korean. She talked to her mom every day, probably. I mean, I imagine she was going through an incredibly hard time, but now she survived all that and she's the group's main dancer and she speaks Korean fluently. And she released her solos, La Lisa and Money, and they were also quite successful. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. They also said this is a different kind of tough, but the member said that she's also the physically strongest member. So <laughs> she sometimes would like, just for fun, pick them up and swirl them around and throw them just to, <laughs> just to be an ass. And that's why one day in the trainee days, they, the three of them decided to gang up and, and fight against Lisa together. Like, you know, not serious fighting. Because they couldn't handle her one-on-one, so they had to gang up three to one. And they once like hid her smart phone in a refrigerator or something like that. Tell me about the producer, Teddy Park. They seem incredibly close to him. They, of course, because he's their mentor and, you know, uh, directing most of their songs, there's that tension in their relationship where they have to live up to his expectations. But it's very obvious that he's the person that they rely on the most. He's basically the, the fifth 
Blackpink member in how much they trust him and, and ask him for advice. He seems to really know a lot about American hip hop and he's kind of their conduit to the authenticity of that. Well, he's Korean American from LA. And this is actually quite common in other K-pop agencies where Korean Americans come over and they exert a lot of influence in the way music is made or the way the music is spread globally. Teddy is not just the big hand in Blackpink, but in YG in general. Um, big Bang in 21, T Teddy has had, had massive influence in the creation of their songs. Teddy was a member in a hip-hop band in the late 90s called One Time, which... YG produced. And today he's more prominent as a composer uh, and a producer right. in YG than he doesn't do one time anymore. I mean, people should know that there is there is and was an entire hip hop scene in, in South Korea that is not idol groups, that is rappers. Whereas, I mean, obviously there's separately, there's a long history of idol groups drawing on hip hop and rapping, but there's also just a straight up South Korean hip hop scene, of course. So. Exactly, exactly. K-pop idol hip hop has a, actually a very interesting and controversial position in the history of Korean hip hop. Big Bang was the first Korean group with a strong hip hop influence that made it globally. And so there was there were, were massive debates within Korean music scene about, you know, is this real hip hop? What is real hip hop? Korean hip hop in general appropriates a foreign culture and tries to make it into something our own. So like, what is Korean hip hop? So there were all these questions that idol hip hop asked. And I think it's quite similar for Blackpink. Jenny was talking about that in the article about, um, she says she, maybe it's, her Blackpink's hip hop is different from what is happening in the states, but it's definitely something that, in her opinion, the world has never seen before. It's for younger female girls in one act who are rapping in Korean. I, I think that's her. Her saying that is the beginning of a debate. It's not a definition by any means. Yeah, I think it's. Look, it's how she feels. One thing that's really interesting about Blackpink is they have maybe 27 songs total in six years or so. They're not a wildly prolific group. And I know even some of their fans would like more music. And then there's other people who are skeptical of them precisely because they don't have a huge catalog of music. And, and that was quite tough for me as well, because, you know, in trying to figure out their musical evolution and growth, there wasn't that much material for me to look at. And I think they do, I think they are incredibly invested and involved in the creative aspects of music and that they give feedback and their feedback is, is accepted. And they said they're involved in meetings from the very beginning stages of brainstorming. So they're not hands off. That, that was definitely the impression I got. But in terms of being independent songwriters, I think Teddy still has a much heavier hand in what they sound like. So I wonder if in the next albums they will have songs where they're free from that, or at least they have a much bigger central role in creating music. I, I wonder what that will sound like. They're working on an, a new album, obviously. They were incredibly tight-lipped about that. <laughs> I tried to get as much out as I could, but they said they're currently recording songs, they're figuring out the direction and the concept, and they expect the album to be released sometime later this year.
So in terms of what concept it is, what it will sound like, I, I wasn't able to get details. I heard that one of their label mates uh, accidentally walked in, recently accidentally walked into a studio while doing an Instagram live, walked into a YG studio that was playing a new Blackpink song. But so yes, a new album is coming. And I mean, what is your sense of why and how Blackpink out of, again, all the, and there's been so much great pop out of South Korea over the past couple decades. What is your sense why they stand only next to BTS as far as just the breakthrough success they've had in the U.S. and elsewhere? There's no answer to this question. Nobody expects someone to become as big as they become. You know, Taylor Swift, Spice Girls, they couldn't have expected to become these global icons that they eventually became. BTS and Blackpink have very different beginnings. BTS didn't start in a huge label and they were struggling to even make it domestically before they eventually became these global currents in and of itself. It's fun and it's moving and and individually the the members are all invested in music and, and they're talented. But then what makes them become a force of nature? That's Nobody knows the answer to that. It could just go down to the charisma of the performers, the quality of the music, and the magic star power. Their music reflects the trends of the global market, and it's catchy and fun. They're beautiful. They're talented. They have this magic chemistry. They were this core that happened to be together, and then had that chemistry that first night around the guitar and then just always stayed together. It's interesting. It's like they found a natural group within this larger group of trainees and survived the whole process. And then that's what we're seeing. And that was for me a relief as a reporter because you interview bands and sometimes you see that the chemistry isn't what it's marketed to be. But with Blackpink, I I felt like their sense of affection and love for each other was genuine. You could see that in how comfortable they were. So that was a part that I really didn't have to be tense about. You know, I didn't have to, yeah, I, I could just be genuine about that in my in my writing as well yeah i think i mean as the netflix documentary shows and other interviews shows they come off as super genuine they come off as having real group chemistry they come off as liking each other and that you can't uh, a company like yg can try to manufacture that but ultimately they they can't it's either there or it's not and it just i guess happens to be there it's become spectacularly huge and very fast in some ways even though the 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 buildup seems slow as far as in the U.S., it seems like it's been pretty fast the past couple of years, and they're absolutely enormous. I think so, that was yeah. what, that's what makes Blackpink a little different from BTS. They became huge almost immediately, definitely in Korea and even globally. Just a few years after debut, they were already this huge girl group. What do Westerners miss about the way they're perceived in, in South Korea? I think the easiest answer to that is that the materials Western audiences access are limited because they're mostly in English. And when Korean acts appear in English talk shows or English interviews, the personality changes because they're not comfortable with the language. So, right. so, and that changes the way they're perceived in these respective markets. Whereas in Korea, you see Blackpink in, in game shows where they're getting their face smashed into a cake, for example, <laughs> or running around and they're screaming and shrieking and you see all these different parts of them. So I think in that way, Blackpink to Koreans 
the perceptions may be more diverse because you see the part of them that are globally successful, but also these young 20-somethings who are just happy playing a game and they're speaking in Korean. And I think another thing is that there, a narrative that really bothered me, especially in the media, when K-pop started becoming big, was that a lot of these idols are robotic or they don't mm. show their human sides. And this perspective neglects the, the language aspect, that they're not promoting themselves in a language that they're comfortable with. But also they come from an entirely different culture where the modes of behavior are understandably different from the U.S. Blackpink is never going to talk about menstruation or, you know, stick their fingers up their nose like in the Spice Girls cover of Rolling Stone. But they just, they're, they come from entirely different cultures and that doesn't make one more humane than the other. And that's our show for today. Thanks again to Haryan Kung. Be sure to check out her Blackpink cover stories in the print magazine. You can read them online. There's also a special box set you can order with breakout covers of all four members. Her Twitter is H-A-E-K-O-K-O. And her Insta is H-A-E-R-Y-U-N-W-O-R-K. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. We are, of course, a podcast. We're also on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.